Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. So today, we have an extra special guest. She is a global expert in brand management, cultural storytelling, and integrated communications. She has worked for Diageo in Western Europe, Manhattan, and currently in the United Kingdom, involved with brands that include Johnny Walker, J&B, which was my father's favorite, by the way, Schmeroff and Bailey's, and is currently the head of uh, Standard Scotch and Lifestyle Whiskies. She speaks four languages, and fortunately for me, one of them is English. And she is also an advocate for diversity and inclusion. And most importantly, she was a student in the first ever digital marketing class I taught in 2013 at NYU. And I will tell you, I knew she was a star in the making then. And as usual, I was right. So welcome, Eileen Hanna-Yeg, I hope I pronounced that correctly, to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much, John. It's amazing to be here, and um, I, I, it's an honor. Um, it was great having your class and, and staying in contact for these so many years, and this podcast is amazing. You've got some great speakers, so I'm very humbled to be on this. Well, thank you, and we're just adding to the list with you. So yeah. I always like to start my podcast with asking my guests where they're from. Oof, that's a, that's very tricky for me because I'm not 100% from a place. So I call myself 100% European, maybe, because I'm half Irish, half Spanish. Um, I married an American. My cat's from the Bronx. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I really feel like a citizen of the world, if I'm honest. I love that, a citizen of the world, a true global citizen. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are right now? Um, professionally and personally, yeah. I suppose. You can throw both in. Um, they, they usually tend to mix over one another, I've found. So you, you probably know this story. I, as, as a child, I really knew I wanted to work in marketing. I would watch ads and memorize them and understand which ones were the best ones. And um, that took me to think about, you know, would, would I be working in a creative space? But um, actually, I was even more interested in marketing. I, I think marketing at the end of the day touches every lever that a brand needs. It's not only about comms and um I, I said, okay, that's, that's what I want to do. I was only 16. Um, <laughs> and my headmaster actually at, at my school said, but you have no idea what marketing is, to be honest. And I didn't. That was the truth. And very, a very fun fact is he, he brought a very good friend of his um, to, to give me a, my first marketing class when I was just in high school. Wow. And his friend was the CEO uh, at the time of Diageo Spain. Um, oh my gosh, that I is know. wild. I do not know this story. I never heard this story. Okay, this is great. And he he gave me my first marketing class and he was very passionate about what he did. And the way he described his job, he was a CEO at the time or a GM, however you want to call it. He said, "I what I do is I create volleyball tournaments and icebergs. 
And I was like, what? What do you do? <laughs> and that was a campaign at the time for J&B in Spain. Um, and actually, I think other parts of Europe. And I thought if a, if a CEO talks about that, about his job, I, I want to be able to work for that company. And it always was like a target of, I, I want to be able to do that. And he, he gave me very good advice. He said, first, study business, really understand what goes behind everything, everything that moves the business. And then you can start working in marketing as, as something that you know, you, you can go deeper into, which I did, and I specialized in marketing, and then I did my master's degree in, in marketing and digital marketing. But I must say, since the beginning, I knew, I knew marketing was going to be the way, the way in. Um, and I, fresh out of uh, undergrad, I, I did a double degree in Spain and, um, and in Ireland. And my first job was at Diageo after having done some internships at Coca-Cola and a Spanish spirits company. Um, it was a dream come true. I told the same story and they said, we need to have you. <laughs> I'm very passionate <laughs> about this company. Is, is, this gentleman, is this gentleman still at Diageo? Are you still in contact with him? No. Very sadly not. Um, there are people that are at Diageo that still, they're still at Diageo that know him. And I always say, please tell him the story because he, he was one of the reasons I joined and I've stayed. I've worked at this company for 12 years. It's, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. It, it is remarkable in, for two reasons. One, in this day and age, no one seems to stay in, in one place very long. And secondly, as a member of the millennial generation, which I know that you are, at least I think you still are, um, <laughs> Um, that's even that's even less true. I mean, in my generation, we stayed places, in my opinion, sometimes too long. Um, but um, I think that happens if you're in a company and you feel that this continued growth, it's yeah, and it, it can work. To be honest, I've always questioned if I was, um, you know, am I staying too long? Am I growing? But the the fact is, I have been able to experience so many different realities within this company. I started in Spain. I saw a very mature market for spirits and mainly in whiskey. And after four years of that, which is when I went to study in New York, I thought, look, I, I need to see other realities. I can't just be seeing a very mature market. Um, and, and that enabled me to go to the States. I took a break, but then I started freelancing for North America, Diageo. And there I saw, you know, growth, the growth of, the Hispanic community and how we could connect with them in different ways with Smirnoff. Um, I also saw the rise of all of the digital and social media era. So I was doing digital and social strategies for Johnny Walker there. Um, and then that got me a job in global Smirnoff. That was all about just social and digital. It was all about how did you amplify and get your, your big campaigns into big media that was what I did at a global level. I did that after my master's degree. Again, very different to the brand management I had been doing in Spain. And after doing that for three years, I, I went to the UK to do a more shopper marketing role, which was more about the customer, less storytelling, but a lot of category strategy, which I loved. And then Bailey's and whiskey again, brand management. So it just... Each time it felt like different consumers, different realities, different ways to connect. And it, it's just so, it's, I think as soon as I get a change of consumer, you again are starting again on how to connect with them. 
and that I thought the company takes care, so much good care of me. And I really vibe with the values that the company has. Why would I leave? No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I always say is if you, as long as you feel that you're growing and um, my other, my other little thing is, and you're still having fun, then you stay. Yeah. Um, and, and you're not going to have fun every day, but we, you know, that you're having fun more than you're not, <laughs> than yeah. you're not having fun. So, so a lot of people might hear the word Diageo and they have, like, what does that mean? And yet they probably have likely purchased a Diageo brand and certainly have seen one someplace. Can you just explain for those who don't know what that term means, what Diageo is exactly? Of course. Um, so Diageo is just from a practical standpoint, what does it do? It is the biggest distributor and owner of um, alcohol brands, spirit brands, um, as you name it. And it has brands like um, Johnny Walker, Tancray, Bailey's, um, Spearnoff, Captain Morgan, um, Ciroc. So, you know, very, very big, very big company. Um, the reason why it's called Diageo is it's actually the mix of two two words. Uh, our purpose is all about celebrating every day, everywhere. Um, and the mix of the words, I think, come from the Latin. Uh, that's why it's got a funny name. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the unison from the past, the merger of Guinness and uh, and another big just dis- dis- you know distribution company. Um, and, and that's why one of our flagship brands is also Guinness. Okay, so there you go. I did not know this story. I'm learning so much. I love what I learn. <laughs> and and your job title right now is head of standard Scotch and lifestyle whiskeys, which sounds very seductive. Lifestyle whiskeys. Can you tell us what that means? <laughs> of course, um, I say it's a really jazzy name. Um, it really is. So what we're doing here in the UK, the UK is a really big um, whiskey market. And what we've decided is we've started to segment how we look at our whiskeys in, in different ways. Not all the whiskeys are the same. Johnny Walker, Hate Club, which is another of our um, whiskeys, or Bullet Bourbon, they're not the same as a Bell's whiskey or a JMB, which are more kind of traditional whiskeys. So we segment them on traditional is more of a heavy category buyer. It's a, a, a more it's an older consumer. It's kind of what you always would associate with a strong whiskey. You know, they, they've always been drinking it neat sort of consumer. Um, and they always buy the same brand. So they're very loyalist. Lifestyle whiskeys are whiskeys that are popping up. They're disrupting the market. They are uh-huh. appealing to both genders, female and masculine. Um, and they're younger. They're bringing up innovation. So my... Hague Orange is one of my brands. It's created Hague Orange, which is a whiskey uh, with orange flavor. It is absolutely delicious, and it's nothing like you've ever tried. Um, And, you know, Bullet Bourbon, also very, very cool brand, um, appealing to a younger demographic. So it's basically that. Then there's malt whiskeys, which I do not handle, uh, which are completely different consumers. So we've started to segment it so that the marketing that you do really resonates. With, with, with the audience. Okay. So when I taught that first class that I will admit that I had imposter syndrome that first day um, and you were there, the idea of digital marketing was still pretty new. It was starting to be a thing, but it was certainly a lot different. I know the content in what I teach in 2021 is 
certainly evolved and there's barely enough time to get everything in. But as a practitioner, how have you seen that from what, when you graduated in 2014, is that right? Yes. And that's, now we're looking at that. That's, what is that? Seven years ago. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Can I, can I first say, it's crazy that you're saying that you had imposter syndrome because you came (laughs) to every class so prepared. You had so much passion about what you were doing and you could really notice that. So I've suffered from imposter syndrome as well. And when I think when, when people that suffer it tell other people, they're so surprised. So your class was amazing, Joanne. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that little shout out there. But um, (laughs) again, let's get back to how you see it, how it's changed. Cause I think it had, we're talking seven years and things have really changed a lot. Yeah. Um, So there's, there's a couple of, I think when, when I was in, in class, it was all about the rise of social media, the rise of how did we connect beyond email marketing into kind of, you know, we had Twitter and we had Facebook, Instagram, I think wasn't even exploding as much as it did. Um, You had Pinterest for, you know, kind of, it was very small niche only for women sort of thing. And I, I think we were just discovering what that meant um, and how we wanted to connect. So following years was all about building your brand. What were you all about? Why would consumers come and talk to you or seek your information from your pages? So I think that that was the whole thing around how how you built storytelling. I think right now, the relationship has become less about, um, you still obviously have to have a presence, you still have to mean and be about something and do storytelling. But I, I find that the relationship with the consumer has become less intrusive, less one way of like, look at me, look at me, and, and thinking that everybody was going to be Red Bull or everybody was going to be, you know, you know, these big powerhouse brands or Nike that everybody came to you. Sometimes consumers just want to have a lighter relationship with you or a practical relationship with you. And that is absolutely fine. The moment they want to seek you, if they have a very you know, streamlined purchase uh, relationship with you and it goes seamless, that's what they, you know, they feel really good about. So I've, I've kind of gone, we've, we've pivoted a little bit on just thinking about what are we going to do? What is our brand and what, how are we going to interact in consumers' lives to making consumers' lives around our product and the purchase, path to purchase easier, I would say. And more to direction. Tell me about how our product is doing will improve sort of thing versus just bombarding them with information. I'd say that's one of them. Um, Second thing I would say is ROI and data. Um, Marketing has become so, and and it, you know, if you worked at a big company, you always were asked for results. Like obviously you're spending money. You need to be able to say why this is proving effective, but the amount of money that I'm seeing now companies invest into ROI tracking and data analytics to be able to, you know, be able to spend the money that you spend is, has, has become very sophisticated. And I actually think it enables you to take the right decisions um, around what you're using and you don't. Before there was more hunches. Oh, we'll know how this did in a year when we see the metrics move. Whereas now it's real-time data and you can see 
what is working, what isn't in, in just a couple of days or a couple of months, which I think is great. Um, and I would say the last one is probably the rise of the purpose, purpose led brands. I think oh, I love this. I love this. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> more. Yeah. Going from ROI to, um, <laughs> I, because purpose is also ROI driven. Like, what what I've noticed is millennial consumers and, and the, the generations that will follow, they they really they, they've lost a lot of they they've lost all their faith in kind of more established you know governments or banks. They've there, there's a lot of things that have happened, <laughs> pandemics, breakdowns, crisis, economic crisis, and they've kind of lost faith that they're going to be saved by the establishment and they actually want brands to have a say in how the world is going to change sustainability, diversity, how they're producing their products. All of this is super important and has now, I would say it's nearly 90% of why a consumer chooses you is what you're about. And I think it's gone beyond just, you know, big lofty purposes. It's about how you make a difference in the world and no brand can go without this. Oh, I love that so much. And and I think it's also what I see is it's not, again, it's not just having this lofty mission, but you know, are you walking the walk? Are you saying that this is what we support, but what are you actually doing? Yeah. You know, how transparent are you? What, what actions are you actually taking that I can see that makes me want to purchase from you rather than someone else? Because at the end of the day, there's always a choice. Exactly. You know, there's always a choice in today's world. There's, there's nothing that you absolutely have to have. I can't really think of anything. I mean, I suppose we can make a case that sometimes I have to have my Amazon Prime membership. But I'm sure <laughs> someone could talk about someone could talk in my love-hate relationship with Amazon Prime. So so I, I have been told that the pandemic, obviously the pandemic has shifted buying habits for so many brands, but certainly in... <laughs> And what people and how people buy and 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 what they drink. Um, I certainly am, have admitted that I drank more in 2020 than I think I ever drank in my life at home. Um, maybe when my 20s I might have, but I didn't really drink at home in those days. It was always social drinking. Um, can you talk about about that and how it's how that's affecting what you do? Yes, um, very specifically in the spirits business. So it, it really. It really depends on the region we're talking about. So actually, during the pandemic, I think North America did really well. Great Britain did really well. And why is this? It's not because we drink way more than the rest. <laughs> they're very big spirit markets, by the way. But it's not only because of that. It's because they're very big, what we call off-trade markets. So consumers buy from the supermarket, and it's socially accepted to have a gin and tonic at home, have, you know, your vodka soda at home. It's, it's kind of more established. Whereas in Mediterranean, in the Mediterranean or um, in parts of Latin America, actually going outside restaurants, going clubbing or going to a bar to catch up, that was actually our source of volume. So the fact that that's closing down, consumers don't, they, they weren't drinking at home in the same way. They weren't socializing in that way at home. They needed more people and, you know, an environment outside. And that has actually had a very detrimental effect to the spirits business in certain markets, even 
with the consumption increasing at home, it never increased to the size of what you usually had in, in bars. And also, you know, the value that you get from restaurants and bars is way higher than what you get from the sale at home. Because so, of the market. Exactly. I could drink a whole bottle. I could get a whole bottle of that by myself, but that's what I'm paying for a glass right now. I, <laughs> exactly. But look, this is where I think the innovators and who is really relevant um, our North America colleagues did some really great content around kitchen drinks. So how do you, how to make the same cocktails and the same kind of mixed drinks that you were having at the bar really easily at home? We had a lot of, um, we had P. Diddy on Ciroc. He did a dance party and he had some of his friends join. You could tune in and you could feel part of it because there was a lot of live streaming. So I, I really think that it, it did come with some creativity of how you could still be relevant. You just needed to understand where the consumer was at. Yeah. You know, it's funny though, when I was researching before our interview and I saw that sales were generally flat, it, and it shouldn't have surprised me because I should have been able to figure this out on my own, but it did because I just kept thinking about all the deliveries that I was having done to my yeah. house, how frequent they were, and then forgetting about that, you know, but the bars and the restaurants and that social drinking that takes up a lot of what the industry would be just really, really was not there. How, how else? I, I, I've been hearing a lot that, um, which surprises me to no end, that young people aren't, don't want things as alcoholic. And that's part of the reason for this surge in hard seltzes, which seems to be the new the new thing um is there re, do you know is there data behind that why that's happening or is it just is it just a thing that that's happening with this new generation and i i don't even think it's millennials i, I think it's even that younger end of the millennials coming into into this next generation that doesn't know what life was like without a cell phone <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny that you say life without a cell phone um because we 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 actually have been looking at this and thinking, why is it? Why what what has been the effect of social media in in the consumption? And this is this is more of a theory. Like with more social media comes the the real crave of the new generations of control. You know that whatever you do, whatever silly thing you do, is going to maybe be plastered all over social media. So you want control. You don't want to have too many drinks. You, you don't want to be able, you know, you always want to be on top of your game. Interesting. Secondly, um, health, you know, the wellness trend has been a huge, huge rise. And that goes, you know, it's, it's impacted all age groups, but the younger generation has been born with it, knowing what to eat, what not to drink, what juices they need to have, what sports they need to do. Um, so that, that information has been really readily available. So they've wanted to, kind of also adapt their their alcohol consumption. And I think a very clever thing, and you know, now that I'm I'm pregnant, um, I'm also enjoying yeah. which is congratulations. Thank you. Um, is a, there's been a rise in the non-alc spirits um, that are coming out. So we're innovating with non-alc gins. Because what we realized is when you don't drink, you your only options are water or, you know, a, a tonic or something like that. When actually you don't want to miss out in the whole experience of what your friends are living because you're not drinking. So what we tuned into is you should have full flavor. You should have the full experience. 
So these non-alk gins, non-alk spritzers that are coming out, I'm really enjoying it. They're really appealing to this new generation and to that wellness trend. And that's what the future is about. It's about not more alcohol. It's about more quality alcohol. If you choose to drink and if you don't choose to drink, full experience, full flavor. Full, full experience. And what, what brands is, what does, is, is Diageo have in terms of this, this, this hard non elk non-elk, um, non, non-elk as they say on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got Tanqueray 00. Um, I don't know when it will hit the States, but it's, it's hit already Spain, for example. Um, we've got Gordon's, uh, non-elk as well. We've got Seedlip. That is a brand that was born purely without alcohol, which, um, actually was, um, a startup, uh, project. And now it is fully integrated within Diageo. And then there's all of these hard seltzers, um, that is an, that's a project that we're starting to look at um, and buying new brands because that, that is another place that is very playful, very fun. Um, and it's all about convenience, right? So you have your, right. your drink uh, ready to go wherever you want to go. Right. It's like buying a beer, like yeah. buying a beer in, in, in the supermarket. So um, I want to talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion, because I know you have become an advocate for that. Um, and I'm going to have a link in, in our show notes to that delightful video that I found um, where you were talking about it online. Um, can you talk about that a little? And I know Diageo as a company is also has also made a commitment to to this. And it certainly is the topic of the day, so to speak. Yes. So this is probably one of the reasons why I've stayed at this company. Um, 45% um, of our board for, for a couple of years now have been women. Um, our CEO, you know, is not white. Um, you know, he, he is a clear representation of progressive leadership. Um, and within the company, like we believe that there is a competitive advantage in having diverse teams because we think they make better work. You can't just have one face or one cohort of society working on your products because your product, your consumer base is completely, um, you know, diverse. And what we started to think was our brands shape culture, all brands shape culture. The ads that you were seeing when you were a child and then a teenager told you who was, who had the Hoover, who was driving the car, who was able to dream for the stars with the sneakers. And sometimes those roles were um, not properly, you know, given to the right people. It was always the woman with the Hoover. There was always silent <laughs> partners and women um, and everybody was white. Um, and so what we decided was the first step we took as a company is create a framework called um, the progressive, uh, it was the progressive gender portrayal framework at the time, which is now the progressive portrayal framework, which is all about shattering stereotypes and advertising. And we do that by looking at representation, who is, you know, who is it depicted in the ads? Are, are we really representing a wide cohort of society? Characterization, are your characters deep or are they just, have you got a woman that's got no lines? And you just have it there to have her there. Um, it's all about agency. Are they in control? We've seen so many perfume ads where women women are completely objectified. 
um, which, which isn't great. And um, have I gone through so characterization, representation, agency? Um, I think I'm missing one, but you get the, you get the gist. It's, yes. it's all about not just looking at how it looks, but actually everything around it so that you're, you're able to create ads that, that are, that are not, you know, stereotyped. That was the first step that we did. And actually we partnered with Unilever, the Unstereotype Alliance. So that was a big, big project um, because the framework isn't just ours. We, we, we wanted, we wanted to be able to have one that was for the whole industry. Um, and I think the next big step that I feel really proud about is the work that we're doing with agencies. So we can be more diverse and we can just kind of go, you know, and, and try and create that in our ads. But if the people that are creating our ads and our comms are, are also not diverse, then we've got, that's part of the problem. And we work mm-hmm. with partners such as Creative Equals with their Creative Comeback program to have more women come back after their maternity leaves and sick leaves. Um, because we noticed that a big, big drop-off point in agencies were women as soon as they had their children. They're as good as whatever was the last that they did in their portfolio. So we are working with them in the U.S., in the U.K., in India soon. Um, to be able to do this program to get more women back into the advertising world. So a lot of things for that matter, for that matter, right? Because we've lost so many in the last year. Exactly. So loads of steps we're taking um, and really excited to be, you know, helping out and supporting wherever I can in in this. Um, I'm part of the progressive portrayal fear co that we call it. This is my side hustle and I absolutely love it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but you know, as you're, as you're talking about it and what you said earlier about what kept you at the company for 12 years, which is not, it sounds like a ridiculously long time in today's world, but it's really not. You blink and, and, and it goes by. Um, you can see how that what the company is doing is helping to keep valuable people like yourself there. And, and not enough, but not enough companies see that, you know, it's still, I, I see more companies. I think the ones that will be the most successful moving forward will continue to do that because they will lose people. There's already data out there now about people just if who are being forced to go back full time out of a remote work environment are saying, you know what, fine, I'm leaving because I want something that as, at best is a hybrid. So it's, it's just really thinking, I think it's thinking forward as a company and it helps to retain good talent as we would call you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've just had a lot of fun <laughs> everywhere I've gone. <laughs> well, you know, I always tell people that it, fun doesn't just happen. You contribute to it. How were you able to adjust during the pandemic? I think I'm very adaptable. So the fact that when they told us everything's going to be from home, we, I was already in the company that was very flexible. So there were days that I already was working from home. So it was just, you know, easier to be able to adapt that way. There was days that were really hard, just seeing the same day. The place where I ate was the place where I worked. And it was just the most <laughs> monotonous days. I I just, I tried to be more resilient. I tried to take it day by day and really just, in the UK, we didn't have it as bad as other countries. And like in Southern Europe, they couldn't leave their houses, but we could go for walks. We reckon reconnect as nature. I, um, my husband and I decided to have no laptops and no cell phones at lunch or dinner so that we were able to 
connect as human beings um, because that's another thing you you lived with someone and they became like a co-worker from another department Um, (laughs) I didn't really you know talk to him during the day and just trying to stay on zoom and my phone to not lose relationships yeah no I mean I think it's definitely um I think it tested relationships a lot being in those, especially unless you had a huge, you know, sprawling residence that you could go hide from each other. Um, (laughs) But, you know, most of us aren't that fortunate. Um, Okay. So I I will go back to now ending with my quick little lightning round of questions. Perfect. Favorite social network? Oh, Pinterest. Pinterest. There you go. See, Pinterest, no one likes to talk about it as much as I think it has so much value there. Um, Something people would never guess about you. Something people would never guess about me. I'm such an open book, John. Like, I think everybody knows everything. I, um, I think what they would never guess is I'm actually a hybrid of an introvert and an extrovert. So if you see me, I, I, I wear my feelings and my, up my sleeve kind of thing. But in, at the end of the day, I also like a lot of quiet time, which people don't really understand. I, I get it because I'm the same way. People think I'm just a hundred percent extrovert, and, and I'm not. I need my quiet time as well, so I totally get it. The last series you binged doesn't have to be on Netflix; it could be on whatever you're watching. But last series I binged, um, oh god, which well, it was the Nicole Kidman one. I forgot the the name of um, with oh, Hugh Grant. The, the the Undoing. The Undoing. The Undoing. We definitely binged that. We came a little bit late because it came later into the UK, um, but we we absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was fantastic. She was so good. The most used app on your phone? Uh, Instagram and WhatsApp. <laughs> the food you cannot possibly live without? Um, food I can't live without. Spanish ham. Um, cured Spanish ham, which I can't have right now, and I'm really craving it, or sushi. Or sushi, yeah, that's another one of my favorites. Uh, what you miss most about pre-COVID life? Seeing friends, family, and traveling. I used to only spend one weekend in London um, out of the four, and now they're all in London, so I really miss traveling. Okay, and now this is, you don't have to think too far back for this because you're not as old as some of my guests might be, but what would you tell your 25-year-old self? <laughs> um, well, it is 10 years ago. So what would I tell her? I would tell her to trust herself. I used to get so nervous with every presentation I did. And, and I just did it. I, I would go and do it, but I would go red and then I would overthink what I'd done. And I would tell the 25 year old, trust in your path. Everything is going to be absolutely fine because you're a fighter. Oh, that is such a wonderful way to end this. Eileen, if people would like to follow you on social media, where would you suggest that they go? LinkedIn, Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. This has been such a joy. No, thank you so much for inviting me. This was fun. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. 
If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. Bye.